begin by talking about whoop, walls, historic walls, because in the ancient world, it's important to note, by the way, I'm emphasizing the Proverbs here first. In the ancient world, it's important to note what walls were used for. See, there weren't planes, there weren't drones, except for dragons, you know, those are kind of drones of the ancient world. Um, Come on, guys. Like, you guys get, give me a little better, better than that, really? Phil told me to do that joke. Okay, he's the not funny one. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's Phil's joke, okay? What's well, all, like, that, okay, that's on, okay. There was little practical long-range weaponry. There was long-range weaponry, but it was highly ineffective. In fact, long-range weaponry, I mean, if you want to get into the whole thing, you should talk to Jonathan Cole. He knows a lot about the history of this. He's not here this morning. Um, But but long-range weaponry becomes basically effective in the last, like, 100 years. And so walls were extremely effective because... All the fights were ground wars. The most advanced military technology was like the chariot or, or, or people on horseback. And so this meant that the, the most effective line of defense, the first line of defense of any good city was to have a wall. Now walls today, they serve a different purpose because we are in the era of plane warfare and drones and, and all of these things. And in and, and countries generally, not exclusively, but generally are not trying to invade each other's land and, and take their land um, and do things like that. We, we live in a different era now. And so law, walls now are primarily for uh, inhibiting ground traffic uh, among migrants. And we can talk about wh- whether that's effective or not effective. What we can't talk about is the fact that it's just not a military implement anymore. That, that, that's not what they're used for. But, uh, but, but what's clear with ancient walls is that that's exactly what they were. And uh, it inspired a lot of pop culture and fantasy about walls, about military walls. And, and of course, like probably the most famous wall of all walls uh, is the Great Wall of China, pictured here. And uh, the Great Wall of China was extremely effective at preventing the spread of the Mongol Empire until the Mongols got this guy named Genghis Khan, who was the best conqueror in the history of the world. We don't talk about him because he's not a Westerner, but the Mongolian Empire was the greatest empire on planet Earth. Uh, That is until God comes again and sets forth the empire of Christ. It spanned 9 million square miles, and it was prevented for a period of time by the Great Wall of China. But eventually, the Great Wall of China, like every wall in every military fight, falls. Eventually, the wall failed. And I think that this is a a great example. This is an important note today, because when we're going to talk about walls and self-defense, It's not that they don't provide a defensive purpose, but the wall's primary purpose, primary purpose in defense was to bide time for those inside the city. To bide time for those inside the city. Uh, Probably the most popular uh, pop culture example of this, this is the most famous real wall, but I think probably the most popular pop culture, although maybe Game of Thrones ice wall is, is breaching on this today, is 50 years ago, uh, 60 years ago, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings. 
the best-selling trilogy of all time. He's a Christian author who wrote a lot of Christian themes into the Lord of the Rings. But uh, the great battle in the second installment of Lord of the Rings is the Battle of Helm's Deep. And Helm's Deep is a fortress that basically, I'll give you the, the synopsis, it's 60 years old, so if you're like, hey, spoiler alert, too bad, you've missed it. I'm thinking 70 years old. You've missed it for 70 years. I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to spoil it for you today. The, basically, the idea is the kingdom of men, the kingdom of Rohan, has to defend themselves from an evil army. And the evil army has no uh, treaty-making ability. They are just there to destroy. That is the reason that the evil army has come to eviscerate all humankind. And so they go, we, got, we only got one place we can go. We got to go to Helm's Deep. And why? Because there's a big old wall there. And so they go to Helm's Deep. They all flee to Helm's Deep. And the wall lasts long enough. It is eventually breached by the use of gunpowder and, and an, an orakai, and he's running in there, and it's a great scene. They're, Bring him down, Legolas. Okay, no, I'm getting off topic. Okay, um, but, but it's eventually breached but not before it lasted long enough, and this is the important part, for the reinforcements to get there. And so the battle is eventually won by the victors, the Rohirrim riding down the hill and destroying all of the Orakai army, and it is the single greatest underdog story in pop culture. give us the space to respond to what's happening instead of just simply reacting. So when the enemy is at the wall, you have a chance to gain a little perspective, right? Now, the best thing I could possibly do this morning is start with a confession. Are you guys ready? These are dangerous, right? What's he going to confess, you know? I struggle when driving because other people drive me crazy, <laughs> okay? So for example, and, so, and some of you know this about me, so this won't be anything new, but when there's construction, which in Illinois must take exactly three and a half years, no matter the project, you have two lanes, right? And they come down to one lane, and they have big flashing arrows that say, you know, get over, and uh, you know, the lane keeps going, and then it starts merging in slowly. Do you know what drives me crazy in those situations? Yeah? I cannot stand it when I drive to the end and they won't let me in. Absolutely up a wall. <laughs> I want to lay on the horn. I want to yell out the window that Jesus loves them. You know, this kind of stuff. But in that moment, and you guys are laughing because you do it too, right? In that moment, what's happening? You're, you're, when, when someone cuts you off in traffic or goes against your desire, you will, what I feel it in my chest, right? That anxiety, that blood pressure, that frustration, it's a feeling. And you got to do something with that feeling, right? And in that moment, you have a choice with what you're going to do with that feeling. You can react on the instant or you can respond. Now, this also comes out in other ways. I mean, think about social media, for example, right? Thank goodness our athletes and politicians and those people would never struggle with answering too quickly. But how easy it is to pull out your phone. They said, what? 
and you type in a response right back at them, tell them how dumb they are, or whatever it might be, right? At least in the ancient world, you'd have to like write a letter and mail it, and you had time to think about what you were doing. But today, in an instant world, we're forced to make choices every moment. And this is especially dangerous when those choices are with anger or frustration or sexual desire or whatever it might be. We all the time have emotions and thoughts and interactions and stimulus and outside and inside forces working on us. And we have to decide how are we going to respond to that. And unfortunately, we often just respond with that initial feeling. That anger, that must be what I need to act on. That desire, that must be what I need to act on. I need to tell that person, I need to show them, I need to get my way. Because that relieves, right? That relieves the tension, the anxiety, the frustration, whatever it might be that comes up. Now, this is not a new issue, as you probably know, right? This is not a new thing. All the way back in the original Genesis story, all the way through Revelation, which was thousands of years ago, People struggled with this same thing. So, for example, think about King David, right? In, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, it's really fascinating because in verse 2 it says, One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Okay, so here's a moment. A moment of choice. Because you know what? God created us with sexual desire. That's a good thing. But in that moment, you have to decide, how am I going to respond to this thing that has come up, right? So David, it says, sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now, right there, number one, that is a loss of self-control, right? Because the feeling is it can come up, but in the moment, how he decided, he showed he did not have self-control. Unfortunately, not learning from that example, we find out later that David tries to send Uriah home, and Uriah won't because all the other people are on the battlefield. So what does David do? He tells them to put him on the front line so that he can be killed. So again, in the moment, he has an issue now. Oh man, she's pregnant, what do I do? And fear comes up. And he acts on that fear and commits murder. So adultery then leads to murder in both situations, not controlling the feeling that comes up. But this happens all throughout Scripture, right? Think about Abraham. He gets to Egypt. God had promised that he would have a child. And what does he do? Oh, no, 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 she's my sister. No worries, right? Or Israel, after they see all of the miracles God does, they get to the Red Sea, they have the army before them, a sea in front of them, and what do they do? Oh, God, let, me, let us think for a minute. Oh, yeah, all those plagues, you got us out, we took all their silver and gold, we got this. No, instead, that fear starts rising, that anxiety starts rising, what they do? God, would you bring us out here to kill us? We'd rather just go back to Egypt. It was better back there. So in the moment, they struggle with how do we respond, or even Peter. Jesus had told them, you'll deny me three times. No, 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 Jesus, I would never do such a thing. And then it happens, and then the crow, right, the rooster crows, and he realizes. Because in the moment, he was just responding to his fear. He was responding to that emotion, that thought, that feeling to the moment. And so this is why Proverbs 
talks about a person without self-control is like a person, a city with broken walls. Because when the army comes up, the idea is the wall allows you extra time to consider what you truly want to do. But if the wall is broken, what happens? They just come right in, right? Anybody can get right in. And they're sort of making an analogy to say life is like that. You're going to have emotions that come in. You're going to have feelings. There's going to be other people. There's going to be situations. And they're going to come into your life. And if you lack self-control, you don't actually get to respond to what's happening. You just instantly react. Is everyone kind of tracking? But a wall, it says, allows you to gain a little perspective to think about what's happening. So that in the moment, rather than just reacting, you can respond properly. Now, this isn't to say you don't want any feelings coming in, because God created us to do that, right? We should get angry at injustice. We should have desires. We should have hopes. We are made for emotion, but the thing is those things don't need to control us in a way that leads us away from life. This is why I believe wisdom exists in that moment after something happens Wisdom is saying, where am I feeling this right now? What is this feeling? Why is this coming up? And then how do I truly desire to respond? So going from Proverbs then to Galatians, the text tells us that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because see, the Holy Spirit is always speaking. God, you know we serve a living God? We're loved by a living God? That, doesn't, that means God didn't stop speaking 2,000 years ago. God is still speaking. And often the question is, are we listening? So in those moments, when those things come up, how do we want to respond? A person with self-control is like a person with a wall, not a wall just to keep everything out, but a wall that says, can I gain a second of perspective to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, to then respond to this in a way that brings life, that actually brings me a deeper, actually brings me to the fulfillment of the deeper desire, not the surfacing, not the anger, because when I honk at that person, what do I really gain, Right? When David saw the woman and he committed adultery and then he had the husband killed, what did he really gain, right? He was acting out of a desire, but in a way that didn't really bring life. And so the Holy Spirit, it says, is there speaking. The Holy Spirit offers us fruit like self-control. And so what we have to do, the invitation, is not of our own power to have self-control, right? Because I don't know about you, but I've tried it over and over and over, and I keep failing, right? Every time I try to cut in at the last second, they still don't let me in. But slowly, over time, we can learn to say it's not of my own power. What it is, is in that second, I can return and say, okay, I have a sense of what this thought is. Let me return to the Holy Spirit in this moment. We have to make space. We have to form habits where we learn to say, what is my story? If you don't know yourself and your own story, what's happened to you, where you're from, what you've done, it's going to be very hard to act with self-control because you don't even understand why you're doing what you're doing. 
So if you were abused as a child, if you had a happy home, if you were made fun of in school, if you were a popular kid, if you grew up with a lot of money, if you grew up with no money, if you've truly experienced love or you've always experienced rejection, if you feel that you generally get what you want out of life or you feel like you've always been frustrated, those will lead you to react in situations in different ways. So first and foremost, we have to explore our own story to know who am I? Why do I answer this way? And then we need to take time sometimes, and now this is, is going to blow your mind, okay? You guys ready? We need more silence. Everything in our world fights against times of silence. And do you know why? Because as long as we're not silent, we're always reacting to the newest ad, to the newest politician, to the newest thing, to the newest person, whatever it might be, react, 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 react. Silence allows us to sit and say, why is this feeling coming up now? This is why Proverbs talks about wise people listening more than speaking, being slow to speak. Because when we're slow to speak, we can say, I'm feeling angry, I'm understanding this, and now I can listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit in this moment. We can learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. So that our first thing we do when something comes up that frustrates us, that makes us angry, that brings up a desire, isn't to react to it, but to say why. To ask, where is this coming from? And what does the Holy Spirit guide us to do? See, that's the wall. That's where we can say, something's coming in. How do I want to respond to this thing? How do I make space to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And when you spend time in silence, listen to your own thoughts. Pay attention to your own story. When thoughts come in, you can engage them in a different way. Not judging them as, oh, this is bad, I need to just get rid of this. Or this is good, I want to engage that. We can engage it, we can listen to it, and we can get to know it. So that in the moment when it comes up, we can say, oh, I know you. I know how I truly desire to answer to you. And there's a really profound thing that happens within us when we start to engage this silence. It actually can change. We talked about this a couple months ago. If you're listening to the sermon on prayer, um, go on. You can look it up on our website. Actually, prayer, silence, contemplative practice, all of the things that Phil has taught me so much about and Aaron has taught me so much about, those things actually can help us remake our brains, re to change, to literally change the anatomy of our brains so that we can make better decisions. And so rather than going back into that, I want to just talk about one really brief structure that exists. And it's a way that can help you think about this. So when you feel like reacting, you can instead go, wait, 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 I'm, I'm not going to actually react here. And it's just, there's just a really simple graphic. It's this uh, theory that was brought up, and it's been kind of debunked. Some people don't really believe it exactly this way anymore. But it's a brain and neuroplasticity or neurology that talks about, uh, there's, we have three brains. Really, they're not inside of each other. They're not actually layered like it's pictured. They're just three kind of natural responses. And they're hierarchical. And so the, the very core of yourself, you have what they call the reptilian brain. Well, all you have to know about this is that it's the thing that does everything automatically. You don't think about any of the stuff that your reptilian brain's doing. When you run a mile, 
as long as you're not Timmy who can run like 42 miles in a row or something ridiculous. If you run one mile, what do you start to do? Just breathe heavy, sweat. What about your heart rate? Pass out if you're Phil. Those are all anatomical, auto, automatic responses. When you're hot, you don't go, boy, I really, really, really wish I could start sweating right now and cool off. When you're cold, you're not like, ooh, you know what would really be, help, really be helpful right now? If I started shivering, right? Like, that, like those things don't happen. Those things don't happen because you think about them. They just happen. And then uh, this is the same thing, by the way, that, tells, uh, that makes your stomach start digesting itself. That's what grumbling is when your stomach is talking to you. It's actually trying to digest itself. And it's kind of gross, right? Anyway, um, that's, that comes, that's a part of your reptilian brain. So, so on top of that, you have what they call the limbic system or the mammalian brain, or there's a lot of different words for this. But, but then you have the feelings, the feels. These are things that you do think about, but they oftentimes will re- affect something auto, uh, automatic in your, in your gut. And so the, the example that I can say is, okay, so I learned earlier today, I'm not going to name who it is, but I said, why doesn't so-and-so sing on worship team? And, uh, and the person told me, uh, because, you know, whenever they get up, like their throat tightens up and they start to sweat and sometimes they break out in hives. Okay, their body is not telling them automatically that when they're in front of people that that should happen. But, but their mammal brain, their feelings, their feelings are interacting with their reptilian brain and they're saying, okay, do this thing. So you see how this can start to get dangerous? You can start to feel things that, that actually aren't real. They're just because of your circumstances. Then on top of that is this neurocortex or the human brain. And that's when you start, this is the really crazy one. There are some people who they don't even need to stand up in front of a crowd to sing. They can just start thinking about standing up in front of a crowd to sing. And all of a sudden they get the sweats, right? That's, that's how your brain interacts with itself. Your neurocortex, that's where you do your best thinking. That's where you consider things like altruism and morality. That's where you start to question, uh, you know, your own, uh, you have like an existential crisis or you have existential realities that you believe in. That's where you interact with those things. And so when God is calling us, he says, okay, you have to exercise self-control. What God is saying is, hey, re-engage your human brain, your moral center, your neurocortex, so that you're not being driven by your feelings or your automatic auto uh, responses. And this is why, and I'm not going to go deep into this, but just the same way that you can think about getting up on stage and then get the sweats, which is an automatic response from your reptilian brain, it can happen in reverse. And that's when we get in big trouble. When Phil is trying to dive in at the last moment and then some jerk like me uh, rides in the left lane at exactly the speed of moving traffic so that no one can do that because I'm focused on justice, okay? Like no one, all right? I don't let them do that to me. When, when I do that, Phil gets angry because it starts, he can get angry first with his reptilian brain. Okay, somebody is impeding me. Okay, Th- this is a real thing. If you, stop, if you s- hold somebody's momentum, they will freak out. Now, if you're doing it in a car, they, they should be able to deal with it. But, but imagine if somebody just came up to you and just bear hugged you and held your arms to your side and said, I'm never going to let you go. That, that causes a fight or flight response. You freak out, right? And then that affects your feelings. You start to get angry or you start to get scared. And then eventually that'll affect your neural cortex. But here's the thing. When it goes in reverse order like that, when you start to, when you play on somebody's reptilian brain and then it moves on up to their neural cortex, all that morality stuff, psh, out the window. This is why people who are in very, very hard circumstances 
can make really, really bad decisions. When people are sleep-deprived and their reptilian brain is not getting the, ac- the adequate amount of sleep so that they can do their, autoimmune, auto, uh, uh, their automatic responses, they start to just get real snappy and mean. When people are hungry, they don't care if you're hungry. They just care that they're hungry. You know what I'm talking about? You know exactly what I'm talking about. When somebody, you're, you're in line, and somebody's like, I haven't eaten since breakfast. And you're like, I haven't eaten for an hour. <laughs> it's like 10 o'clock at night. Like, what are you doing? You know? That's the line at Chipotle. They're, just like, they're moving quick, right? Like, they go quick, but, but you've got to watch it, though, because that person behind you, maybe they're in a much worse circumstance than you, and you're, if you were a real Christian, just kidding. No, if you actually knew anything, you would probably look back and go, oh, there's a person behind me. Maybe they haven't eaten for a long time. Maybe I should let them go in front of me. But instead, you just want your burrito bowl. Because your reptilian brain is, is dealing with your neural cortex and saying, stop caring about the image of God behind you. Stop caring about... I could go into how this affects all sorts of people. But when you fear first, when you lack the wall, when you lack the ability to walk into a circumstance and not just immediately jump to some triggered response it can be deadly for other people it can be deadly understand that's a reality within our world we stop we cease to see whenever we feel threatened we cease to see people for what they are and so that's my charge to you this morning as we as we finish up we're going to have communion here and do one more song But that's my charge to you. Build for yourself a wall that is founded in the reality that you ought to be the least fearful person if you truly believe what this whole thing is about. You ought to be the least fearful person in your life. You ought to interact with, instead of being constantly defensive, you ought to walk into things and go, no, 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 no. I got God on my side. preached about last week, we talked about the, the shelter and how we're getting some pushback from the shelter. I said, yeah, but he who is, is with me is greater. But if God is for us, then who can be? See, if you truly embody, embrace this, embody, embrace, have this picture of this brain or have the picture of the Helm's Deep wall or have a picture of Phil trying to cut you off in traffic, whatever the picture is for you that works. If you walk around your life with that picture in mind, you will be able to stop before you clock somebody or yell at somebody or tweet angrily at somebody and instead respond. Re-engage your neural cortex. Spend an, a, a minute in silence. Return to your breath. Come to a contemplative service. Whatever you need to do, just type Lewis space into Facebook. You'll have a wealth of information. Whatever you need to do, return so that you will respond rather than 